Good morning. You know, I'm still thinking about uh, Easter, and I'm still kind of uh, coming out of Holy Week excited, and I, I love those words, your way is better, amen? Jesus was the better way, and he was the promise of God. And what he did at Easter was single-handedly the most amazing miracle that we've seen in human history. It was um, amazing. Of all the things he did, that was the greatest. How many of you have ever seen something amazing, though, and it took you back? How many of you have ever seen someone do something amazing, like a child, and you look and it's like, man, that kid has promise. You know what I'm talking about? A few years ago, I was watching this show. I think it was like 60 Minutes or something. I was watching this show, and there was this girl from the UK. She was like 11 years old, and she was a piano prodigy. And they were talking to her about a game she likes to play. And the host of the show played the game with her. What, what she asked her to do was take a, a hat, and inside the hat were all these random notes. And he was supposed to pull out three random notes, and this 11-year-old was going to compose a piece right there on the spot using those three notes. And I was watching it, and it was amazing to watch her pull out three really uh, unsequential notes and put them together. And she, she thought for a second, she goes, let me think, took a minute. And then she started to play. And what she composed on the spot based on what she pulled out was just dynamic. It literally left the host awestruck by what she was able to accomplish. It was amazing. How many of you have ever seen that kind of power before? You see someone, you go, that's a person of promise. Okay. Okay, well, as we move back into Galatians today, and we took a week to kind of honor Holy Week and see what Jesus did, this entire letter that we're in is about what Jesus did and how what he did freed us entirely. It was the greatest thing that could have ever happened. But it doesn't just make us children of promise. You're going to hear, you're going to hear Paul use a specific term. He's going to say that you are children of the promise. And that is the title of today's message, that we are children of the promise. Now, when we left off three weeks ago, he gave a really challenging word to the Galatians in verse 20 of chapter 4. He said, I'm perplexed by you of his beloved Galatians. He loves this church. How many of you have ever looked at someone, even someone that you love deeply, and you go, what were you thinking? Right? You know what I'm saying? Someone you love, it's like, what went through your mind? That's what he is saying here. And Paul says that only to set up what we're going to look at right here in these next 10 verses. And so he is speaking directly to the confusion that is seemingly within them. Like that they have traded their status and their position as completely free children of God, children of the promise in Jesus. And what he has done because it was, there was never going to be anything that they could do. There was never going to be enough that they could do. And they've exchanged that reality by listening to Judaizers who were telling them, and that influence was telling them that, yes, you can trust on Jesus, but that's not going to be enough. You also have to practice the law. You have to practice this empty religious rite, and in it, then you can be saved. There was no salvific ability within the law. They knew that. There was no salvific ability or power within the law. They understood that too. But they were telling these Gentiles, these Galatians who had come to Christ, that they needed to practice this in order to be saved. And, and here's the thing. The Galatians were letting them do it. And so Paul goes, I'm perplexed by you. I mean, why would you exchange something fulfilling and true of promise for something empty? And so jumping right in in Galatians 4, 21, just 10 verses, he says, tell me. 
You who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Paul is speaking directly to the Judaizers here, those who are influencing the Galatians. He's going, you know what it says. For it is written that Abram had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant from Mount Sinai bears the children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands from Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. But she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman. You who were never bore children, shout for joy and cry aloud. You who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Verse 28. Now, you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise, of the promise. At the time of the son of born according to the flesh persecuted the son born of the power of the spirit. It is the same now. This is what's happening to you, verse 30. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. The slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot. But Paul's primarily asking the Galatians, do you trust God or not? If his way is better, and we all agree, right? that his way is better than ours. Does he truly know better or not? See, it's far easier to say that than to trust it when you're in the thick of it. And that's what Paul's trying to get to here. He uses the scriptural reference to point to Abram's story. Paul's masterfully continuing to go back to Abraham for these Galatians and these Judaizers to truly pinpoint what it means to be a Jew. You have to be connected to Abraham if that's going to be the case. And how God made a promise to Abram. We looked at that promise a few weeks ago. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. And these other characters. But here, they decided, they decided that the promise wasn't happening fast enough, so they needed to help God out. You ever been here before? They weren't having fast enough, so they needed to help God out. They weren't going to simply wait on him. They needed to help him. Ever do this in your own life? Anyone ever thought, God said this, and I want to see it happen. I believe I've been waiting on it, but it just isn't happening quick enough, so I'm going to intervene here. I'm talking about hands. I need to to know that I'm not the only one in the room because I've done this. I've interfered, and man, I made a mess for myself. All right? How many of you, when you intervened, when you interfered, found yourself in a larger mess on the backside, if you, then if you would have just let God have his way and do what he was going to do. In his time, his timing was perfect. And that's our first point. God's timing is perfect. The question is, will we, his people, wait? His timing is perfect in their lives, Sarah and Hagar. It was perfect in the Galatians' lives, and it is in ours as well. We don't need to go kicking doors open for God. Hello? 
We don't need to go kicking doors open for the creator of the universe, the one who created you and I in his image, the one who saved us all through the shed blood of his son, the one who defeated the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit by raising his son to life and thus raising you. We don't have to help that kind of power. Amen? We don't, he doesn't need our help. And so in the kingdom, he allows us as his ambassadors to join him. In what he's doing, what he's doing to usher the kingdom and bring about life change in people's lives. But he doesn't need our help. How many of you have ever struggled with the kicking the door open to help God or, or kicking the door open because God just wasn't doing it your way? Ever been there? I had a thought on this, God, and you aren't doing it that way, so let me help you sovereign out. Hello? Do you know it says, wait upon the Lord over a hundred times in Scripture? Do you know that? Over a hundred times through Scripture says, wait upon the Lord. But we don't like to wait, do we? How many of us struggle with waiting? Obviously, Sarah and Abraham did not want to. The son of the slave woman born out of flesh. Now, here's, here's what I want to tell you. I want to put this out. If you, like me, have ever interfered in God's sovereign plan and try to help him out with the promise, then you logically, like me, would see their point. You can understand what they're doing here. How many of you have ever justified your own actions in helping God and made a, a larger mess in the end? Okay, so we can see what they're doing. We logically understand that it makes sense. It adds up. I don't blame them. But Paul's referring to their problem here, and that is their problem. That's what he's exposing. He's exposing a lack of trust. He's exposing a lack of faith. I want you to write this down. We are always in trouble when our finite perspectives interfere with God's infinite promises. We are going to walk ourselves into trouble when our finite perspectives begin to interfere with God's infinite promises. Scripture points out a lack of faith here by Sarah and Abram, and, and, and it affects Hagar. Now, let me walk you through what took place here. Back in the story of Genesis, you have Abram, who's called from Ur, follows his, his father to Haran, and out of Haran, God calls him to go further. In Genesis 11 and 12, he is 70 years old when he is called out of Haran. At 70 years old, he's called to follow God into the wide unknown. And a covenant is formed with Abram. At 75 years old, five years later, we see the covenant that we saw a few weeks ago in Genesis 15 with the, the split carcasses and the smoking uh, pot and the fire torch go through that as if God is going to keep this covenant as a dual part himself. Abram's just asleep and he's a solely a benefactor. You remember this? This means yes? Okay. So God makes a promise that God is going to keep in Genesis 15. It would be years after that promise was given that Abram and Sarah would still be childless. In Genesis 16, this is 10 plus years after that moment. And we'll do the math here in a second. You're just adding up. A second Abrahamic covenant is given and 10 plus years after that, where God seals this thing by himself. There was Abram at 86. 
Sarah at 76. Sarah is well past childbearing years. At 76, would you not agree that 76 is not a ripe womb? Okay, for any woman that has been barren her whole life, okay? At 76, still no child given at this promise. So Sarah decides to take things into her own hands in Genesis 16. She goes, you know what? Man, we have been waiting on this promise. It's been 16 years already. We were told at 70 to follow God, and then your promise we're going to have a son. And, and so, like, here's what I want you to do. I need you to take on Hagar, my midwife, and make this thing come to be. Like, we're going to help God out. And so the birth of Ishmael happens. I want to say another statement that I need you to write down. He says, Paul's referring here, he says that Ishmael was born according to the flesh. That's important. Not because it was physical, but because it was born of humanly desires and then fulfilled by humanly means. This is where they're kicking the door open. This is where they're interfering. This is where they're getting involved. If you know what I'm talking about because you've done this in your own life like I have, then there's a weight that you start to feel when God says yes and you start to realize you got involved and you messed it up. So Genesis 16 reveals that Sarah gave Hagar to Abram by which he could bear a son to bring the promise to pass, the promise of God to pass. That's a key. Same passage also reveals that Hagar resented Sarai for what she had done. She treated Sarai with contempt after Hagar realized she was pregnant. So these tensions begin to mount. So the moment that humans got involved in God bringing about his promises, the, you know, where Abram decides to intervene in the very covenant that he was asleep during, and God said, I'm going to keep myself, guess what enters the story? Envy, jealousy, contempt, anger, frustration. Are these fruit of the Spirit? Are these the fruit of the Spirit you memorized when you were in preschool? No, these are fruit of the flesh. And so when it says that it was born of the flesh, human desires brought about by human means, that's what it's talking about. So you can only expect those things to enter the narrative now of Abram and Sarah in Hagar's life. But God is gracious. And it's going to be 13 more years till God clarifies for Abram that he always intended to bring a son from the loins of Sarah who's barren her entire life and now is 90. That he intends to bring a son naturally, by the way, miraculously from Sarah, his wife. And he's going to change her name to Sarah and the covenant will be with the son of promise, Isaac. But God begs, I mean, sorry, Abram begs God. Abram begs of God that he would still bless Ishmael. And Ishmael gets blessed because of God's grace and his compassion for Abram. How many of you have ever seen you mess it up really bad and then God still in his kindness comes alongside and still shows blessing in your life for the stuff you interfered with? Like he asked God, just, just be kind to Ishmael. That was me, my bad, but please bless him and God does in his kindness. Make no mistake about it. Here's what happened. Isaac had always been planned by God to be the son of promise, that he was going to keep the covenant through Isaac. So Paul's pointing this. He's going, look, 
You don't need to listen to the perspectives of men and get involved. You don't need to mix your hands on this. God promised a son, and listen to this for those who don't like to wait. 25 years pass from the original promise. From 75 to 100, they are waiting on this son, Isaac. They have promised for How many of you say, you know, I had to wait a couple months, you know? I got involved after a few weeks. 25 years, wow. Church, will we wait? When God makes a promise, and I, last I checked, he's not a liar. Amen? When God makes a promise, he's always faithful to keep those promises And he's perfectly intentional in the timing of bringing about these things. So even if he caused us to wait 25 years or longer, is he still God? And what's that mean? If he's still God, that means who is not? I'm not. So will we trust him? Will we trust him to bring out things, or will we, like Sarah, try to help God out by forcing a door open? Proverbs 16.32 says this, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Will we trust God to intervene in his promises and keep them as he has said, or will we in our impatience church interfere? Next point. Since God made the promise, he's going to bring it to pass. So how many of you have heard of a catastrophe before? You've heard that word before? You know what that is? Catastrophe, right? You've heard of this. There's catastrophe evident in this narrative. God promises an insane promise. Years pass, only making that promise seem that much more unrealistic. Sarah's getting older. She starts to question, asking Abram, did we hear God? Did we miss him? Maybe we need to help him out here. Surely God is calling for us to employ action, so let's get it. And once they do, again, harsh treatment involves, and sin enters the narrative of Abram. And once it reaches this fever pitch, it's like emotionally catastrophic. Okay? Right? Have you ever heard of a catastrophe? Ever heard of this? There's this device used by really smart writers in rich literary works. In fact, Tolkien was famous for this. It's called a catastrophe. In his book, With, Reimagining the Way We Relate to God, Sky Jatani notes of Tolkien. He says this, J.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, often employed a storytelling device called a catastrophe. The catastrophe is an unexpected evil. But Tolkien added the Greek prefix you, meaning good. To express an unexpected appearing of goodness. He defined it as the suddenly happy turn in a story which pierces you with joy that brings you to tears. It has this effect on us because it is a sudden glimpse of truth, capital T, in which we feel a sudden relief as if a major limb has been taken out of joint and suddenly snapped back repeatedly in his stories. The catastrophe occurs just as all hope appears to be lost. It is that moment in Tolkien's books when the eagles swoop in for the rescue, when the riders of Rohan arrive for the battle, or Gandalf the White appears with the breaking of day. It was what God intended when he told him, my promise is to come, Abram, 
And Isaac is the son of promise in Genesis 17, and he makes good on that promise in Genesis 21. A eucatastrophe is what we celebrated last week. A eucatastrophe is what we celebrate every Christmas. We celebrate his coming, we celebrate his resurrection from the dead, and we celebrate and anticipate at his church his coming again. Amen? How many of you that could be a good thing that would bring us to tears when we need it the most? How many of you are noticing that we might be needing it in our culture right now the most? Remember, this was a covenant established by God to be kept by himself. He did not expect, require, or need the help of Abram. And I got to tell you, church, for those of you who have gotten involved like I have, he doesn't need your help either. Abram tried to help, and we got Ishmael. I don't know what your Ishmael is. I don't know what you call that, but I know you've probably experienced the mess when your hand interfered, right? So it goes on. It says, the free woman's son, Isaac, was born of promise, not of flesh, born out of the power of the Spirit of God. I love that term free woman here because it's not just talking about her status as an Israelite. It is talking about that. It's talking about her status in Israelite, the woman of God. It's also talking about a free woman who has now been freed practically from the bondage of barrenness. Hello? That the dead and lifeless womb is now bringing forth life. And in their culture, to bear children for a woman was the highest honor. And so this woman who has spent her life probably as a midwife because she couldn't bring children into the world herself, she helped other women do it, is now at 90... I met a 91-year-old in the back of the room earlier today. At 90, she's bringing this child into the world. Not because he was immaculate conceived. That was was reserved for Jesus. This is just a precursor to that. But it is where the Holy Spirit intervened by opening an old and barren and death-like womb miraculously. And by the time Isaac is born, Abraham is 100 years old. Man, How many of you want to be 100 with a newborn? Just practically. How many of you at 100 like your sleep? How many at 40 like their sleep? 30. And you're going, I'm not sure I want to be rocking a newborn in the middle of the night. Night feedings. Side note, just because God speaks 25 years, just because he promises it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that it's today. Hey, it doesn't even mean that it's tomorrow. The only thing that you have is that you can be assured it will, in fact, happen, whatever that promise was. Amen? So I'm going to take a second side note here. If you are here today still believing on God for something that he told you, something that he has promised you, a breakthrough, a blessing, that you've yet to see, and you, you, have been, you may have been waiting on this one for a while. It may have been months. It could be years. Church, do not lose hope this morning. Do not lose hope because he is still, listen, he is still not a liar. So if you are here believing, and it hasn't happened yet, if he said it, if he promised it, It will happen. Amen? And you can trust his perfect timing in this. doesn't mean you won't have to wait for it, like Abraham and Sarah. It may mean that God wants to do it different than you thought it should be done. 
Or, check it out, you may know exactly how it's going to happen. You may have it right, but you may have the wrong timing. Church, we are not to interfere. We are finite while he is infinite. Our perspective can only mess up his promises. And it doesn't mean that he's not kind or loving and won't bless us even in. But how many of us have learned, hey, if God said it, I'm just going to let it happen. So this is you. The breakthrough you've been holding on, waiting for, maybe even for a while. If God gave it by God, that breakthrough will happen and by him alone. Last point, your children of the promise. They are not. The they here are the Judaizers or the false teachers that have infiltrated the church at Galatians. So church this morning, practically, you got to be careful who you allow to influence you. Okay? We are always to apply wisdom as people of faith. We must trust the promise of God over, listen, the promise of God must be trusted by his church over the perspective of man. Right? This entire narrative that Paul is bringing up, who made the promise, who made the covenant, and who walked between those carcasses? All the same person, God. He didn't need us. So it's all about loyalty of God unto himself and his promises over man's logic. It's about God being loyal to himself versus our logic. I had a convo this week with an elder that uh, I was incredibly encouraged by. I was grateful for that perspective. He said, you know, Justin, we've got to be able to trust God even when circumstances aren't playing to our favor. How many of you are grateful for moments like that with your spiritual community to remind you that you've got to hold to the truth even when things look dark or bleak and it doesn't make sense? I said, you know, God does speak through his church, and I think he's speaking to you, to me, through you right now. He speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer and spirit, but he also speaks through those circumstances. And maybe, maybe those circumstances that seem crazy and I can't fix them right now, maybe they're just telling me, listen, to wait, Right? Maybe. Further confirmation for me, it further affirmed me of the truth that I have in Jesus and the life that I have, the faith that comes by that. And how many of you are grateful that you have people in your life to speak truth to you like that? Amen? Amen. So um, there's, this is where this, this thing gets a little tough. This is where this verse gets a little tough. Go back to verse 430. He says this. Um, But what do the scriptures say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. (laughs) So Paul says, look, this is poor influence in your life. It's actually leading. It's heresy. It's going to lead to death if you continue to allow this influence in your life. You may be saved, but the people that have yet to come to Christ You may have been freed entirely, but you have a ministry here as an ambassador of Jesus and his gospel. And those who you've continued to allow circle in this church are speaking. And those who have not made that decision, not crossed the line of faith yet, they've not been freed, can be influenced by these liars. So they got to go. Just cast them out. I thought that might hush us a little. Casting people out. Sounds harsh. Ignoring them doesn't sound kind. It doesn't sound like the grace and love of God. But Paul here, Paul's trying to protect his children. How many parents in the room, if your children, your spiritual children, have a snake in their bed, you're going to cast that snake out? How many are you going to let your kids sleep with a viper, something that could take their life? 
You going to allow that to happen? Let's make it simpler. How many of you have ever served in preschool before? You know, there's a reason we don't walk the preschool out to the interstate and let them just go. Like, here, have fun, explore. It's danger for them. That's exactly what God was doing in the garden. He said, hey, eat of any tree in this garden. Eat of any of this. Just stay away from the one thing that's harmful for you. And Paul's saying, stay away from the one thing that's harmful for you. This influence is going to kill this church. So they got to go. You got to cast them out. He said, it's not that God didn't love them too. God did, and he wants them for himself, but they are unwilling to submit to his power in order that they keep their own. Anyone met someone like this? Unwilling to submit to his power so they could hold on to their own. So God loves them. He doesn't want to cast them out, but church discipline has to be applied here is what Paul's talking about. You can't let this influence continue to have its way with you. If you're going to submit to Jesus, but you're continuing to be influenced to not Matthew 6, Matthew 16, 25 says, for whatever, for whoever wants to save their own life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. So he begins addressing the Judaizer in verse 21 and then shifts his attention to the Galatian believer in verse 28 and says, you have a job to do. You need to take the influence of this Judaizer and these people and you got to push them out. You need to start ignoring them. Turn your back on them. There is truth. And he's a person. And that person shed his blood for you and me. Anything else, this is the contrary. In verse 20, when he said, you know the law, and thus you know that it's not salvific. These people have to be put outside the church. Church, I just want to tell you today, listen, I just want you to think, this is why church discipline was applied. This is why it's put on the elders. It's not put on anyone else. This is why God sets apart under shepherds that he can speak to collectively to protect his church because he wants to protect his children. But here's where it comes personal. How many of you would want poor influence in the life of your kids? Then why do you allow poor influence in your life? Hello? How many of you have people in your life who are influencing you to the negative? They're lying to you and you continue to allow their influence to have power over you. He goes, stop it. Cast them out. Their instructions lie. It's counter the truth. You were saved for more than this. Cut them off. Cast them out of your fellowship and out of your life. Listen, and I'm, listen, I'm the one who literally months ago was up here dancing, talking about God's called me into a dressing booth to dance with the lost. Like, like I just want to have influence people, but here's the thing. I'm, I'm not talking about meeting people. I'm not talking about new people. I'm talking about people in your life right now who have been a poison and their influence continues to poison the truth in you. Hello? Continues to distract you, make you ineffective. And Paul is telling his kids, you have a ministry and there have been people entrusted to you and the most important message in the world has been entrusted to you. You have to be able to live for that truth, move by that trust and give that away. You need to step away from allowing anything that is contrary to that to influence you. To be clear, he's trying to tell his Galatians, his kids, his spiritual kids, the influence that they're under is coming from Satan himself, the liar, and he is completely opposed to the kingdom of Jesus. So you got to turn your back on that. And when we allow the influence in our lives to be louder, when we allow the influence of culture, the influence of those that are not telling the truth, the influence of lies to be louder in our life than Jesus' truth, church, I need you to hear this. 
we become agents of the enemy versus ambassadors of the king. Hello? We become agents of the enemy and we look more like children of wrath than we do children of the promise or, or children of God. He's protecting his kids here. These are more than just children with promise. These are children of the promise and that promise was Jesus. And because Jesus did what he did, because we could do nothing, we're welcomed as children of God and he's reminding them, you have a status that you need to protect you have a message of a man who gave his life so that you could live that you need to give away and you don't need anything to interfere. This morning, church, as we conclude, I welcome the band back. I want to remind you that we, we, his church, here, we are children of the promise. Last week, we celebrated that we were bought at an incredible price. The priceless blood of Jesus. <laughs> when we let his blood shed in our stand, in our place, in order that we would become the children of God because that was the plan of the Father. When we realized we couldn't save ourselves and we called upon him as Savior, that his blood would wash us white as snow, we also called upon him as Lord. And so we have to live like it. We have to be willing to follow him wherever he'll lead because his way is better, amen? We have to trust his promises even if those promises take years to come into fruition. We don't need to interfere. We need to let God intervene in keeping his promises. We need to let God's infinite promises shift and stay Lord over our finite perspectives. And when we have poor influence in our lives, things that are harmful, lead us to lies, start to turn our attention from the truth, we've got to put up boundaries that teach to the counter, that teach the counter of the truth so that we can share the good news of the one who set us free. How many of you are grateful you've been set free this morning? Amen. So, Jesus loved you and loved me, and he's called us to love like he would. Can I ask you a question today as we close? Who is he calling you to love today? And how? Who is he calling you to love? Possibly unto salvation, possibly unto freedom, possibly unto his kingdom that they might move from death to life, lose the statuses, children of wrath, that they might become children of God, children of the promise, just like you, just like me. Can I ask you a question today? And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes as I do. Whether you're listening in this room or you're online, can I ask you, are you available? If God's way is really better, are you available to him that he would have his way no matter what his way is with you, no matter how long it take, that you would allow God, the God that makes promises and never breaks them, always keeps them, is not a liar, is making promises to you, blessing and breakthrough, will you let him have his way? Are you available? Maybe he wants to use you in bringing about the blessing of salvation, the breakthrough unto new life through you in the life of a friend who right now isn't a child of the promise. Their, their end is death, the child of wrath, and they continue to be lied to, and maybe he's given you the ability to speak truth in life. Are you waiting on him? Are you available to him? And will you let him use you however he desires? Is his way truly better?
One last question. I'm going to pray. This group's going to sing a prayer over us. We're going to respond to him. Nothing else. Not Justin, not, not even the music. We're going to respond to him. Is he working in your life today? No one's looking around. I just want to know, for those in the room, I can't, I can't check with those online, but I'm going to ask you to answer that yourself. How many of you, God is working in your midst right now, and you know it? Hand up. <laughs> Will you let him? I mean, that's amazing that we can say yes to that. Will we let him? Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us for sending Jesus. And in our stead, he took our place that we might have life. We might be children of the promise, God, today. We're responding to Jesus. We say we're available. We're saying we'll wait on you. However you desire to speak or move us to that next step, whatever you want from us right now, we give you this time. And we say yes We say yes. Even if we don't know what it is, we say yes. Find your people faithful in Jesus' name.